Yeah, what, uh, but real quick before we start, how, what chapters did you cover in that second episode? Six. Okay. Okay, right, because six was a really long one. Yeah. Ah, I'm excited to hear this. So on Monday, is that going to be the first episode with you and Brian going up? Or is that going to be this? I don't know. I'll figure it out. What okay. Either way, man. All right. I got to, yeah, I got to sit down and maybe floof up the web page a bit. Change all the default links that come out. Oh, I also need to give you the um, login for that. If you... If you're still okay with me using the website for yeah, it totally. and your feed and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming you're still paying to keep that feed live, so yes, I'll, I'll, t- yes. I'll jump on top of that. No, no, no. It's cool. I got it. Uh, all I got to do is, um, well, change the password to something that is not too much like all the other passwords I use for everything. Fair enough. <laughs> and, you might uh, also be able to just grant like another uh, moderator user or something, maybe. Oh. Maybe you can make another admin. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think I might be able to. I don't know how to, though, so giving you the password would be easier. That works. Yeah. And then FileZilla and all that stuff. Yep. Cool. And aside from that, it's exactly like Bayesian Conspiracy. Yeah. But just as far as the credentials for it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. All right. Ready to rock and roll? Yes. Uh, I was thinking, you don't have any banner art for it yet, right? Nope. I'm going to, you send me a picture of yourself. I'm going to grab Brian's picture from his Facebook. And then I'll just put the two of you on top of the uh, the standard HPMOR banner. Maybe. Maybe. No. Maybe. You don't like that idea? I, I, I put it on Discord. People might send us stuff okay and there's cool. a million fan arts there are and the, and the van That's art true. For the website can change whenever yeah i'm also thinking of what to do for the i like the current album art yes um but if it could say something like we you know wwmor or something mm-hmm. on there okay um either someone on discord could dress that up really quick mm. um and i think that would only affect the ones going forward it wouldn't change the previous ones okay i think i have no idea we can check and then it if, doesn't if it matter does, i mean it'd be cool to have that, that anyway right well, only this is sort of like stepping on your project, not stepping, no, no, no. not stepping on, but I mean, I've like kind I, of like finished with it anyway. So, yeah. but it stands still paid for, still online as a as a monument, and a, <laughs> and as and as a a resource where people still listen to it. It's true, you know. So, cool. And I'm hoping this actually drives a bit more traffic back towards it because I listen to the the episodes and then I read them mm-hmm. for each for each. Uh, what does Brian read or does he listen to? He reads. Okay. Um, and we need to work out a be- a good, you know, we're still getting our sea legs on this. And I've listened to more We've Got Worm and Ward than he has. So mm-hmm. um, I think the hard part, we can get all this on the air too. Sure. Are, are, we, are, we, are we live? We are recording. All right. Yeah. This is, so this is our soft introduction. Okay. This this is the, the prequel recording with, yes. for We Want More, the Methods of Rationality read-through podcast. Okay. The name ripped off with permission from We Want or We've Got Ward or you don't, We've Got Worm. You don't have to ask permission to rip things off. No, but I figured since I know him and he could be like, hey, what the hell? Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, and it's inspired. It was the idea came from We've Got Worm, yeah. uh, where Matt had read Worm and Scott hadn't, and Matt had been referring, you know, referencing it every three podcasts they did for like the last two years. And he's like, we finally got to do this. And so he got him into it. Cool. Um, the only difference here is that I didn't know Brian before we got this going. Yeah. But yeah. So I am here with Inyash Brodsky, whose voice, Hello there. if you're listening to this, you probably recognize. It's true. As, Cause yeah. it's on the same feed as where I always was. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just going to talk a little bit about, uh, I guess the project and also, uh, HPMOR in general. Yeah. Or HP more, as most people say. Yes. I, I always just got in the habit of, you know, saying all the letters since I had to say the website on my, my podcast and saying HP more might send people to the wrong place. I always said M-O-R, but I guess maybe because I got it from listening to you. Mm-hmm. But 
What were we just talking about before I segued us into... Uh, the chapter six is the episode number two that you're doing with Brian? Yeah, something right before Getting that. your sea legs? Yeah, that's that's it. All right, so we were just talking... Like, our our notes structure is sort of just... You know, he's he's grabbing out... Like, he'll highlight stuff in, his, in the Kindle that he's reading, and then you can just export all of those. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of nice, because then you can highlight and comment. But I, we're... We're, you know, so we've recorded two episodes. We're recording our third one this week, and I think they're going to get better, yeah. including I want to get this out of the way right away, the sound quality. Mm-hmm. We bought $35 mics, I think, mm-hmm. and they're sitting on your desk, and they've got the same little kind of things that these ones have where they've got the little Spider-Man. bounce. Um, yeah, but it's like rubber bands or something, but yeah. it's very simplistic. But Well, these are it, rubber bands too, basically. Oh, yeah. Well, but they, I, I didn't know it was recording this noise until I was listening to it. Yeah. There's occasionally this like static feed that comes through and it's related to whatever USB port it's coming through or how long the wire is or something huh. because it, cha- it got less when I changed USB ports on my computer, okay. but it's still doing it sometimes and it's kind of super annoying. Okay. So I'm going to go buy a, a mic that's like $100 more than the one that I just bought and see if I can return this one and it should be good. I was just looking at reviews and watching videos of people demoing different ones this morning. So cool. by episode three, unless we record tomorrow... Then it'll be episode four. I'll have a new mic, and I bet he will too. So okay, the one I always used was the Audio Technica, which when I bought it was about a hundred dollars, but nowadays would probably be like one twenty, one twenty five. It goes up in, in price. <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes up in price. Hmm. And it has been like ten years. Oh yeah. Well, this one's uh, Blue Yeti, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've heard about the Yeti too. That they were about the same. Yeah. And I like it because it's much smaller. It just has a little tripod and sits in your desk. Okay. You don't need stand with an arm and yeah and the other thing too is these guys wouldn't work for me because this plugs into one of these yeah, yeah. The, but the um to a the audio technica has they have some that come just straight with the uh usb converter built in so you can plug it into the computer i preferred to buy the um converter separately it was like another 15 bucks but then that meant i could use it for uh this a mixer or plug it into my usb depending on whether you know i had slotted in the converter or not hmm yeah i'll look into it yeah yeah. Either way, it doesn't matter. You'll save a few bucks, and if you don't plan on ever using it with a mixer and just always putting it into a computer, there's no need to have it. Yeah, to and I guess XLR. I, can buy, I can buy the converter later if I needed it. So yeah, cool. Anyways, technical talk. Yeah, no, no, I mean, <laughs> boring it's, people. It's it's, it's it, but that's important because the sound quality is not what you're what you're getting here. So, but it will be. Just yeah. hang tight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the first episode we did one through five. How long is it? Because you've edited it now, I believe, right? Um, it's a little over an hour. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And same, same with the second one, which kind of just worked out because I'm not doing it just by word count, but also by like how much happens. Mm. And the sixth, so the first one through five is just like Harry gets the letter, goes to Diagon Alley, goes to the bank and I forget what happens in chapter four. Um, whatever. It's just like, he's still shopping with McGon- McGonagall. And then mm. the sixth one is where he's is six or five. I gotta say, I should I should know this actually. Go ahead. Uh, Elias said in the intro notes that like you you know if you like it or not by the end of chapter five, and if you don't like it by the end of chapter ten, just give up, right? I I knew I loved it by the end of chapter one. Yeah, like right away, this was a character I absolutely adored, and I don't know who who out there exists that doesn't like him at the end of chapter one, but would at the end of chapter ten. You know, it's like that first chapter really tells you. Maybe the first two, all you need to know about whether you're going to like this or not. I think what changes is just like your exposure to the character. 
because if you're coming off of it from Harry Potter, from yeah. the canon version, you're like, who the fuck is this kid? What's going on? This is all so different. But then you get a little more time to know him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, okay, now I'm familiar with what who this who this Harry Potter is. Yeah. Um, but the thing, the writing style changes a bit too. It does it. It's it's not a lot, but like that person was it Gwern? Someone did. Oh, uh, no, I think that was the guy who does the Pokemon Origin of Species. Right. Um, Daystar Eld. Yes, thank yes. you. I couldn't remember his pen name, and it, I didn't want to out his real name. It was it was off on my my brain for a second. Um, yeah, I read the first because he redid the first four. Yeah, and if you read those, they feel kind of more like the rest of the book. The first four chapters are just kind of like I don't know. Um, I think the first different. four chapters are like if you already know a lot about Harry Potter and at least a little bit about the fandom, and you've read Eliezer's works before, that it's like a perfect storm. But yeah, if you didn't already know both how rationalist fiction reads and everything about the original Harry Potter books. Because a lot of people have come into um, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality having not read the original Harry Potters. I have no idea how that would work. I know. That's weird. Because, yeah. yeah, this it was originally written as Harry Potter fanfic, right? And fanfic always assumes that the readers have read all of the original work. Which which actually pays a lot of dividends and how quickly he can get the story going. Cause Absolutely. Like, you don't have to have all those words that he has in the rewritten first four chapters. Well... The the rewritten ones, I think, they're a little longer, but they also just kind of feel more like Harry methodically planning things out. Okay. Like, the experiment that they plan up with McGonagall for the levitation, like, it's it's actually, like, they sit and talk about it first, rather than just like, alright, so we agree? We agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not it's not different, different. He does all the same stuff. It's just a little longer, a okay. little more verbose. It's worth reading. Um, I, I read through the first two, and there was definitely a lot more setting up of characters, where, like, you you were introduced to the characters rather than just people assuming you already know who all these people are. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Because, like, McGonagall, in the, in the, as far as I recall, in the second chapter when she's introduced, you, like, have almost no introduction to her. It's like, here's McGonagall, and she's acting like McGonagall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we talked about on the show that we're, we both just picture Maggie Smith from, yeah. from the movies because she's the perfect encapsulation of that character. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and so he had just finished reading through all seven books a few months ago with his daughter okay who just turned 11 i caught it almost right away cool all right we're back but yeah his daughter just turned 11 then yeah so he had just finished reading the original so all the original harry potter stuff's fresh on his brain um so he's able to relate back to that and he was saying like and i read them multiple times as a kid but it's been 10 years since i read the last one and he apparently the first book it's like a third of the way through before they even get to hogwarts yeah yeah and so he's like yeah they could just you know, we get to skip a lot of the world building because it assumes that you already are familiar with it, which, yeah, is great because this isn't, it's an original, you know, it's fan fiction. It's an original story, mm-hmm. but it's 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 not an original setting. Yeah. So he's taking the setting. And it's like, all right, you've been here. Great. We don't have to walk you through, like, what Gringotts is and all this and that. You get to view Diagon Alley not as the same way and the very long-winded of, you know, oh, my God, wizards and stuff, but kind of like, holy shit, wizards. I need to figure all this out. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I got the the thing I mostly wanted to talk about when you asked me to do this interview thing is uh, that whole loving or hearing loving or hating Harry almost right off the bat thing, and and my trepidation with Brian because he is a father. Okay, so here's the thing <laughs> uh, with Harry Potter, one of the things I love about him is that he is smart and an adult, and he's bas- he's an agent. He's a PC in you know in RPG terms. Like, right from the very beginning, even though he's 11. And um, and this never struck me as weird or anything, but he treats the people around him as equals. Like, 
other fellow humans and we all have our own separate interests and sometimes they're at odds and sometimes they're working together but uh we're all people and i love that and the fact that he's 11 to me never really mattered because i was also kind of precocious at 11 and i try to treat adults i mean with some respect but more or less like other humans and nowadays i still for the most part try to treat kids as human people you know and uh a lot of the things that i would when people hated Harry, they almost always said he's an insufferable shit. <laughs> and I couldn't quite understand what the hell they meant because he's just acting like anyone else would act in his position, right? He's and acting like we would act in his position. Exactly. Yeah. And that was it. The, I eventually came to the recognition and I came to this with um, um, the, well, I'm not sure I should say her name, but the person who does the voice of... Um, Hermione? Uh, no, not Hermione. Uh, Ron's mom. What was his name? Her name. Uh, Molly? Yes, yes, thank you, Molly. Uh, she does her voice, and she... Was she not credited on the podcast, then? I don't remember. I don't remember either, I, I probably just she heard was, that episode. But I don't want to say it if she wasn't, because yeah. like a number of people used pseudonyms, and it's been long enough now, I don't remember who. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but anyway, she did the voice of Molly Weasley, and uh, you know she loved doing the project, and she's a friend of mine, so she didn't have any problem helping out, but she hated Harry. She didn't read the series, and she is a mother. Hmm. Uh, a mother of two children, in fact, and it took me a while to get through like talk with her understand what it was she didn't like about him it's the fact that he is a kid acting like an adult she's like he has no respect for his elders this is not a realistic per <laughs> portrayal of children and they are not she didn't use these words but eventually i got to what i got to understand was they are not humans to be treated with respect like all other adults they are proto-humans that need to be protected and cared for and all these other things and in return they realize that they are inferior and they have to respect their elders and and seeing an 11-year-old treating fucking McGonagall this way. Talking down to her. Yeah, yeah like 80-year-old, what's her, what's the actress's name again? Uh, Molly, Maggie Smith. Yeah, Maggie Smith. Seeing a fucking 11-year-old talk to Maggie Smith this way, she, like, she couldn't stand it. it. It triggered all of her, like, status alarms and hierarchy alarms, which this is an interesting thing that Eliezer brought up in his essay about how... I don't seem to have this. It seems like a fair bit of rationalists don't have this, but most humans have very strong uh, hierarchy retention instincts that the status hierarchy has to be respected and you don't you don't like try to be above your place in society. And I think there might even be good reasons for that. But when someone does, uh, when you get the feeling someone is acting above their place, like they're they're acting too good for where they actually are, they get slapped down. And Harry was supposed to be getting slapped down by everyone, and no one in the book slaps him down for it. They all also treat him as equals. And she was like, he's a shit, and no one is putting him in his place. Like, McGonagall treats him as an equal, even though he's an 11-year-old snot-faced kid, you know? And so does Dumbledore, and literally everyone else. And she hated that, and she couldn't stand it, and she didn't read it. And I found that that is the, the main dividing line I find between people, whether they love or hate Harry, right at the start. Hmm. And so the thing is, uh, Brian has a kid. And so I was like, I wonder how Brian's going to go. Out of curiosity, how old were Molly Weasley's kids that when she was doing this? Uh, let's see. At this point, I think her oldest daughter was just about to leave the house. Okay, so they'd been. So she'd had. I was. I was curious if they were little, little, or if yeah. they were old enough to have had gone through the stage where her oldest daughter was like eighteen or nineteen, okay, and yeah. her her son was like eleven or twelve. Okay, so that makes perfect sense then. So she could just imagine her eleven year old talking to her, be like, "If my kid talked to me like that, I'd slap him. Right. Maybe not slap him, but do something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah." I think, so I brought this up right away because let me try and get my, my thoughts in order here. So like 
Eliezer is constrained because he wanted to start the books from the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. It would have been weird to pick this up in year seven, yeah. right? And so, but he also didn't want to, want to write an eleven-year-old. Yeah. And so, not being uh, unaware of the fact, he wrote he wrote a character who wasn't like the average eleven-year-old he run into at school, right? right? So yeah, Eliezer was a, working within the confines of all right. I've got to write an eleven-year-old, but was aware of the fact that yeah i need to to find a way to make this not be from the point of view of an 11 year old mm-hmm. um so yeah brian did bring up a couple of times because his daughter is 11 mm-hmm. and he's like i can't imagine her talking like this but now he's he said something and i'll have to i think it was in episode two because that's where he just pulled out a, a quote a block of text where he's chewing down mcgonagall and he's mm-hmm. just like what a sociopath <laughs> and i'm like that's fair um, but he said something right around that point when we were recording about how he's going to try and listen for like when his kids are saying something or other. I can't remember, but it, it could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah. So I, I liked the Harry, the, the method, methods of rationality, Harry right away too. I think I wasn't, I can't really remember being 11 year old, but I, and I, I know I wasn't anything like that. I was, you know, whatever, just dealing with life as a child. But yeah. um, I assumed that Brian's child also has like regular social interaction, which makes her not sociopathic. Like I, I personally never really had any friends in part because, you know, I didn't speak the language very well and we moved a lot in my early life and I was just kind of weird. Plus I was trained to be an outcast by my religion. So there was a whole confluence of factors that made me basically alone all the time, much like Harry Potter is. And Harry has his own reasons for that. Partly being that he's so smart, he doesn't have any peers. So he's always feels alone, even when he has children around him, you know? And, uh, but I think you get, you spend a lot more time in your own head when you're that way. And even if like an 11 year old wouldn't know all the vocabulary that Harry does, like a lot of kids who are isolated and super smart, I think do sometimes talk like Harry does. Especially too. And this, this was nice because I think you get a somewhat mundane explanation for why Harry is the way he is in chapter six. Mm-hmm. Like this was from, I think we've got Ward, Ward, Ward. Am I saying that right? Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's word, Ward. Oh, Ward. I mean, anyway, English sometimes fucks those things <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. The We've Got Ward podcast that Scott Daly and Matt Freeman do for Wild Bow's web serial Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they love the story and they're aware that the author listens to their podcast. So like, you know, they're, they they're they're polite about it, but they're also like they're they're fair. And they're, but the thing is, there's not that much they can criticize. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that they hold off on, too, and this is what I brought up, I think, in the first episode was like, They've got a principle of charity with the author where like, let's just assume the author is a genius who knows what they're doing. Okay. And when it's done and we can, we can, we can analyze the work as a whole, we can say, all right, they're an idiot and here's all the reasons why, because nothing worked or yeah. something, right? Yeah. But you don't know if something's going to work or not right away. Yeah. Maybe. Um, they probably have a better formulation of that charity principle than I do, but. It's got to be really awkward knowing that he listens to their podcast. I don't know. Because I mean, I'm in a book club that meets every two weeks and there are some well-known authors that live here in Colorado and uh, a couple times they've come to the book club uh, when we were reading their book, you know? I wonder how they get in, someone just messages them or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what it is. But because, uh, you know, a few of the people we know have been around for a long time and know some of these authors from back before they were really big. But uh, in one case, uh, someone said, okay, so should we invite Connie Willis to this reading of her book? And 
we we have a thing in our book club where first we go around we say all the things we liked about the book and then we go around and say all the things we disliked about the book and we are like let's not do that because <laughs> how can you shit on someone's book in front of them and because our dislike section sounds like it's going to be longer than our like section i mean we didn't know at the time uh in this particular case it was but uh but yeah it's just even when you love a book and you just dislike some things it's so you don't feel like you're necessarily free to say the things you want to say when it's like if someone has an ugly baby you don't talk about how shitty and ugly the baby is around them right yeah i don't know i like we had robin hansen on our podcast for age of m and then for elephant in the brain Mm -hmm. and i didn't say this for age of m partly because i hadn't read it at the time but i'd read enough of it to know that he's got to me a pretty opaque writing style okay um it's not opaque it's 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 dense isn't the word either it's hard to get Mm -hmm. it's not um for, for me anyway it's like I, I get it but it's 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 like reading a, a high level textbook where it's just like this isn't fun yeah. like i'm learning but i'm not enjoying learning like i'm reading the sequences right yeah the elephant in the brain i loved i was i was a it was a page turner and like, that was written with someone else right right and that's what he said yeah, yeah. he said that, that might have been due to my co my co-writer um but so i you know I, I don't know if i would have said by the way the elephant in the brain was really convoluted and hard to follow and you know not that engaging right. um but I was able to give positive review of the other book that said that it was all those things. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, the, let's see. So the kid thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, has, has he, so he did say the sociopath thing, but he doesn't hate Harry. He oscillates. Okay. So far. He's like, I can't tell if, if he's writing a character that we're supposed to like or not. Okay. Um, which to be fair, when he, you know, kind of goes sociopath in, in chapter six, which is when he, when you first see his dark side yeah. and he's, he's challenging McGonagall about, cause he, it kind of comes out of nowhere. She says, you know, were you abused? And he's like, grabs her hand. He's like, put up that quieting charm. And he's like, you keep these accusations to your fucking self. You hear me McGonagall? He's not even calling her professor. He's not, yeah, you know, yeah. um, I mean, to be fair, that is something that is, you know, especially at the time that it takes place with the whole satanic panic that was that's going what, that's on. That's what I brought up. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a serious, I would have like immediately jumped on that. That'd be like someone asking you in public, so do your parents sexually molest you <laughs> yeah. here in Diagon Alley? <laughs> I, it looks like you may have been sexually molested. <laughs> so he, and so I brought that up too. I was like, this, this takes place after our, like the D&D, you know, like devil or the, the, daycare, the daycare kids and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So, um, but then this is also where he lays out his, you know, she, she's like, well, what if it's obliviation that, that you know, blocked yeah, it? And yeah. he's like, oh, I can't falsify the obliviation thing. But, you know, suppressed memories, fuck you. And um, mm-hmm. then he's like, well, how about this? Like, I don't go to school. All the people I interact with are grad students at Oxford yeah. and my parents. Like, I'm very alone. Yeah, I'm, I'm alone. I, I've got nothing in common with kids. That's why I'm not like kids. Yeah. And she's like, that's all. And he's like yeah that's all surely even in magical britain the mundane explanation is sometimes correct mm-hmm. um so i think that's enough to tie people over if they're not uh on board with yeah. everything else yet right so, i get the feeling at um, this point brian's probably not going to end up liking harry for quite a while hmm. well because i not only did i love him all the way through that even when he got to that point i still was in love i was like yes tell her this is important and i love that he like I mean, okay, so it's maybe a little unrealistic that he laid the smackdown like that. And all things considered, it's not like he won one. He, like, got her to not say, you know, you were being abused loudly in public, which is something. It's not a major victory or anything. But 
like I, are you just saying you agree or are you just are you just are you do you actually believe me or are you just saying you do so you can leave and file the papers <laughs> you're reading that's we got to get to that okay we'll spend a long time talking about that but but anyway. yeah i mean i loved him even in this and he obviously did not and i was like yes you sure mm, you're the man rock on harry and just so yeah like i was so on board with this character i loved everything about him i guess basically i saw myself in him a lot which is why I loved it. it. I'm trying to remember through the series. And I think other people will see, they'll either see themselves or they'll see that nerd in school that they can't stand to be around. And so... <laughs> I think that's what Rachel sees yeah. when I tried to get her to read this a few years ago. Yeah. I'm hoping that this project, I can get her to read it and like just, you know, hunker down and give it a shot again. I mean, I think it's... I'm very... Cause she, she was, I, she I suspect strongly that people are not going to change on that. That they're still... It's always going to remind them of that awkward person that always made everything awkward and they didn't want them around and that won't change and but now she's married to one so i you know you're yeah. the exception <laughs> but no so she went through the ib program okay. uh, which in addition to like whatever regular coursework you know they read like war and peace like three times in junior oh my high God. And, like i mean I'm, I, I don't know all the stuff that this took but i know that they had a way above average alcoholism rate for you know 15 year olds because everyone was crazy stressed and, <laughs> holy shit okay um, yeah, so she knew people. She's mm-hmm. like, this is this guy I went to school with. Okay. And I'm like, that that kind of makes sense because you went to school with these crazy, you know, nerd geniuses. Yep. And the ones... But the thing is, like, Harry's awkward, but not in a, like, oh, I can't make eye contact and I'm, you know, like the, the nerd yeah. awkwardness. He's yeah. awkward in the sense that he cites scientific papers and is, like, unusually dominant with his peers. Yeah. But not in the sense of... Not in the, not in the usual, like, I went to school with, you know, somebody who was un uh, you know obnoxiously annoying annoying or something well, no, right? i think that is more annoying to the non-nerdy people or to everyone else i guess because like the awkward nerd who can't make eye contact and everything at least is playing his role in the social hierarchy he's acting like someone with very low status whereas the uh status whereas the nerd who's like all domineering and uh pushes his way in you know acting like someone above his station yeah yeah i guess we'll see how it shakes out i'm hoping that you know the other thing with Brian, too, and it was actually funny on my list of like four criteria of people I wanted to pick out. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't even think to add somebody who's read Harry Potter or at least seen the movies. Yeah, but luckily he had, so yeah. um, it kind of just assumed that that would be the case. Um, I mean, who hasn't in this day and age? Yeah, I guess right. Yeah, so I think once, and he, he's already getting there. I think where you're not trying to compare him to the original one. Okay. And I remember the first time I read it, it was jarring with his interaction with Ron the first time. Yeah. Because Ron is still Ron from the canon version, which means he's a boring NPC. And you, you nail his whole voice and you talk kind of like this. And whatever you say, Mr. Spoo. And, um, that was so much fun. It was great. Um so I'm like, oh, he's not going to be friends with Ron, and he's going to be friends with Draco Malfoy. Oh, and in the same chapter, Malfoy threatens to rape a girl, <laughs> yes. um, and we're going to get to that one next. And so, Yeah, that's going to be um, a trip. It will be. I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't think anything will turn him off Like of like, no, fuck it, this book's obviously garbage, yeah. because it's not like Harry's going to be like, oh, yeah, go for it. You know, like, right. ob- he does the exact opposite, mm-hmm. um, but it... Like, when I read that, oh, my God, that was such a powerful scene. I got the uh, the whole... I think it's described in the book as like your blood turns cold, but like it felt like that. It felt like there was some kind of physical shock to my system when I was reading that. I was like, oh, 
fuck what's that's going ex- on that's exactly it the oh fuck yeah and i think it goes it it goes for like the worst thing that you can do i mean they even talk they mm-hmm. casually talk about murdering her mm-hmm. and like you know that's but then and, of course harry realized that only one of them was joking about killing her but <laughs> yes. like even that is way less viscerally evil you know because this kid's the son of darth vader basically right so mm-hmm you know, talking about murdering somebody is annoying you. It's like, oh yeah, of course, I've seen movies. Yeah. But like, I can't wait till I'm old enough to rape her. And it's like, oh, <laughs> fuck. And then, so then Harry realizes, he's like, oh yeah, of course, it's not going to be that easy. And he seemed so nice. But th- I think this this to me seems like a, an obvious choice for Eliezer to, or maybe obvious in hindsight, why he went straight there. Because it's like, we, we've got to set uh, um, Draco up as an evil kid. Yeah. And... Harry is the person who understands that evil is just what you, when you're 11 and you're evil, you don't get to choose whatever, right? right? You're just, his dad, I think he even says at some point, like his dad's basically Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. So like, of course he's fucked up. Yeah. But he's going to get Draco Malfoy pregnant with the seeds of, uh, (laughs) of rationality, of of the seeds of rationality and warmth and kindness and all (laughs) that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, so this is one of the fun things trying to figure out what to do in this. So part of it, in the first couple episodes, you're going to notice that we're kind of we kind of jump around, especially in the first chapter or in the first episode. In the first episode, because we cover five chapters, so things are a little bit out of order. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to make sure that we get things better. But the hard part, and I'll explain to the, to the listener now, the hard part of me doing that, of me pulling out here's what happens, and then this and this and this, is I don't want to pull out something specific. Um, and that you know is foreshadowing or right. is important but if, if you miss it on a first read that's that's the experience yeah um you don't want to highlight every time okay this is spoiler so i'm not going to say it but if you if every time this certain thing was highlighted eventually brian would be like huh why does steven keep pulling out things that point towards this yeah something like that right but we need to get better about getting things in order like just summarizing the plot as we go through it mm-hmm. um I had something for this. We were just talking about, um, oh yeah. So I, but you know, pulling out the fact that like all the quibbler headlines happened to actually have some meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really a spoiler cause they're so cryptic that I can just say that and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not going to do that either. Maybe we'll do like an after the fact and we'll have like, you know, two, three hours of just talking about like, here's all the fun things throughout the story. Yeah. Um, you can keep a list of things as you go highlighted that you're going to bring up later. He did bring out when we, he was talking about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, at the top of the chapter, that wasn't like part of the episode or part of the, the chapter, but like in the author's notes at the top, when they're at Gringotts, he, Eliezer is pointing out that apparently the weights or something of the coins are like not consistent throughout the series. Yeah. Um, but he's going to pretend they're consistent for this. And so when Brian's reading that the first time, he's like, that just seems like a nerdy thing to point out. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. Yeah. But then he gets to the chapter and he's like, oh, I get it. Because Harry's got this fun plan to, you know, lather, rinse, repeat and make a million dollars. Yeah. Um, where was I going with this? Um, oh, when Harry was pointing out like the annoying, the annoyances of their banking and how easy it would be to, to Munchkin. Mm-hmm. He's like, I bet he's also going to complain about how Quidditch works. And I was like, <laughs> nice. I bet you're right. <laughs> because Quidditch is dog shit. Yes, it um, is. And then... <laughs> Yeah, so um, I think it's coming along well. I think uh, he he's enjoying it. I think it seems like overall. Cool. I am curious for his reaction on Draco, and I've I've got because I just had a conversation with this about this with somebody else actually. That if it comes to it, we can have I can have with him a bit. But like, you know, the thing is, Draco's a, a monster dick bag, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the thing that changes 
the thing that changes somebody from that, if they can change, which I think most people can, yeah. is good conversation with somebody who's good and willing to engage you. Yeah, well, and that and doesn't interacting mean, with them in life, not exactly. just conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah meeting people, you yeah. know, too. Um, yeah. Like, I had, I had a friend tell me that they had a friend uh, who they were at some hot spring or something with a trans person that was friend A, the friend that I have. Okay. Um, that was their that was their friend. Okay. And uh, my friend's friend confessed to my friend. I know this is confusing, but without names, that's the best I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, like a week later, he's like, that kind of made me uncomfortable, you mm-hmm. know, because the trans person was topless and I'd never like seen that before. And blah blah blah. And, mm-hmm. and so there's there's a couple ways people could go about this. And like, oh my god, you shit lord, how can you not be so accepting? What the fuck is wrong with you? Right. Which is the wrong way to do it. Yeah. Like, and that that said, it's not like everyone's job. You know, I've, I've seen online before. It's not my job to educate you. Right, and it's right. like, well, if you're going to rip me down, the least you can do is point me in the direction of how to get better if you're not going to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, it's not but, your job but, to be but, an asshole either. Right. And the way this worked with my friend was he talked to his friend about it and he he brought his friend around to a, a more accepting place within the context of a conversation. Like, cool. so that's, that's, how, that's how people get better. Like, you don't... You don't get to pick the values that you inherit as a child. Yeah. You know, I might have brought this up on the Bayesian conspiracy, but like, not to speak ill of my family, but like, you know, my dad's casually racist and homophobic and all that shit. I shook all that yeah. stuff off in my teens, but I had yeah. it as a kid. Yeah. And like, actually, I think I remember challenging him on race because I knew a black kid at school who was, you know, just like everybody else because that's how that's how people work. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how many black kids there were in farms in Iowa or in the middle of Cheyenne when, you know, in right. the 70s or whatever. But Poland is very racially homogenous. So there really wasn't any racism because there weren't any other races. So my parents weren't racist, but they were kind of like homophobic, like everyone that grew up in that time was. And I mean, eventually they adopted my attitudes. Like, I, I was an influence on them. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, not just mine, like me and my brothers and sister, but, you know, the younger generation, they're like, yeah, I guess the kids are right on this one. I'm not sure where my dad is on that stuff now. Um, I know I know that he didn't like, the thing is, he doesn't like Jared Polis. I'm not sure if it's because he's gay or if it's because he's Jared Polis. our congressperson. Oh, okay, um, okay. Colorado's congressperson. Okay. Um, but I'm... I might be blanking on the name, I, or on. I'm pretty sure it's Polis who's gay. Okay. Um. Anyway, one of one of our Congress people is openly gay, and Dad was like, "Don't vote for him, because he's because <laughs> he's gay." Well, he didn't finish the sentence. Actually, oh, I think he either okay. caught himself, and we were like entering my house, and he was still out in the patio. I'm not sure. Well, if he's I also a Democrat, it. right? That's that's it. Is he's also a Democrat? Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so your dad wouldn't have voted for him anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was, but um, you know, if 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 there was a gay Republican who wanted to run, I don't know if my dad would vote for him or not, but I he see. might. I'm not sure what, what takes precedence there in his hierarchy. Yeah. But the point is me telling him, dad, that's closed minded. Fuck you. You're an idiot. Like that's not going to bring him around. No. And me just being like, Hey, you know, like, let's talk about the person, you know, you, I've got gay friends. You like them, you mm-hmm. know, like, or unless you secretly don't or what's, what's going on here. So, you know, yeah. Oh, well they're different, you know? So, right, right. but the point is, is like, um, you know, making it less personal and more thing like Harry gets around and I'm talking about the next episode we're doing. Cause it's not, you know, um, I don't know, three, three episodes in when it's not, we're not ruining too much for anyone who's going to be listening to this, the show, but, um, you know, Harry could, could have chosen that moment to say, Oh, okay, fuck this kid. He's now my arch nemesis. Like mm-hmm. I got to get away from this kid. I'll go find that Hermione Granger. That's, you know, was, was whispered to me about at the end of the last chapter and mm-hmm. go, go befriend them instead. But he's like, no, I think I can redeem this kid still. Okay. And I think that's the, the laudable attitude, right? Yeah. Speaking of the whisper to Hermione Granger, in the chapter, it just says a voice whispered, so you got Hermione Granger, right? right? I did not know until I think it was like the last 
few chapters. It was really, really near the end of H.P. Moore that you find out it was Dumbledore that whispered that to him. Do you actually find that out in the book? I think so. I don't recall. At some point, I learned that it was Dumbledore. That it was must have been way Word later. of God. Maybe it was Word of God then. Because... And I, I don't know. I don't think that counts as spoiler or not, because it does just say a voice. And in, yeah. in the audiobook, you have McGonagall do it. I do because that is the natural reading of that chapter. That is the that, only. That's how, that's how Brian read it. Yeah. And that is the only voice I could have imagined that would do that. Same. Yeah. So, it it seems like then Dumbledore was was playing. He, he was probably just following them around the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Invisible and being like, all right, well. Yeah. But that's interesting. I I wonder. And that doesn't sound like spoiler because that's pure speculation at this yeah. point. Because it does, eh, whatever. And it doesn't really matter who whispered it. No. Aside from the fact that McGonagall would have known she whispered that, but that doesn't change anything at any point. No, yeah. it 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 doesn't change anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the interesting thing you mentioned. The one thing it changes is that if it was voiced by the voice of Dumbledore, then you would have some indication both that Dumbledore is like watching Harry already, and that he's meddling already. Oh, which you don't know. Yeah, but I mean that's the that's the author's choice. So. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm um, sure that's why he said a voice. I just at the very least I wish he would have said masculine voice or feminine voice or something so I would have known who to cast. But well, the thing is too is I think Harry would have reacted differently if it was a voice he didn't recognize that just whispered Hermione Granger find her on the train. Yeah, it's like if it was like if that came out of nowhere and it wasn't a voice he'd heard all day he'd have been like wait what? Yeah, yeah. Um, what the hell? He, and, but and he this was turned, right just, after McGonagall left too, right? It was it was right after he turned away from her. Yeah, yeah. and so McGonagall plausibly still could have been there, said that, and left. Yeah, right. At the, but at the end of the day, like you said, it doesn't really really matter for right. for the story. But um, yeah, the you mentioned that Harry has agency in this from the beginning, which I'm trying to remember at what point in the original series, like I'd feel like that was his decision. And it might be, it might be like fucking book six or seven. Like hmm. it's not an, like, I mean, he does things, he does yeah. things the whole time, but well, it I mean, seems like he's just doing things that are happening to him. The reason he's reactionary rather than like, I'm going to take charge. And like in the first book, they're like, all right, we'll go down there and we'll stop Voldemort. But like their 11 year olds, they don't really have a plan. Yeah. Um, I mean, they are taking some agency. They're charging forward blindly like idiots, but that was their choice to do. Yeah, but that's not... It's it's it's, it's the it's reason different... that Dumbledore had to die and, and Obi-Wan had to die and why the mentor figure always has to die in these sorts of stories because they're kind of leading the action and at some point the hero has to take over and generally the most concise way to do that is to kill off the mentor figure. Also gives the hero, you know, a moment of pathos and all that. Yeah. And that happens in the canon version at the end of book six, which, yeah. So, like, it's it's really, like, in book seven where Harry, like, stops going to classes and, like, starts actually taking charge of his life. Yeah. Um, so, it might be jarring for somebody reading this that, like, oh, he's doing that right away. But also, like you said, a kid. Yeah. Um, and it is, like I said, just sort of, and I think I brought this up, like, let's, it's kind of just the conceit of the book that, like, yes, he's constrained by having to write an 11-year-old. But let's just take it for you know, take it at an understanding that the author's aware of that he's writing eleven year old and he's he's got understandings or he's got a plan for why this doesn't make zero or why this makes more than zero sense. Mm -hmm. And there's a plausible explanation in chapter six. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it it's not like the author's some idiot who's never met a real eleven year old. Um, <laughs> inside joke um, for people who've already read the story. But there's also like nods to the original series that are kind of fun um, that yeah. he's picking up on more than I did. I think. Yeah, since he just read them. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of other things, but nothing's quite jumping out. Oh, I mean, there's, we had to talk a bit about the genre savvy trope 
in the last chapter because he's really like at this point he's like all right my life's a fantasy book mm. and luckily i've read five thousand fantasy books and so his whole thing of like you know at least you know as far as my my planning and my being uh neurotic of my level of like preparation stuff you know at least you know it could be way worse like it could be you know there's some ancient prophecy where the dark lord's actually alive and he was never really <laughs> killed that day and his shade whispers to the living and he fights to get back to this world yes. and the prophecy says that you know where we must face each other in a in a last battle where the loser shall win and the winner shall lose yeah. and she's just like McGonagall staring at him like oh shit and he's like wait what <laughs> and so he's just he's he's not he's not breaking the fourth wall he's just genre savvy yeah and it's the funniest way to set this up that i could possibly think of right i cannot he, wait to hear this episode with you and brian he guesses it completely by accident yeah. um but just because he's like oh yeah mcgonagall you don't read fantasy books like this is how they all go yeah <laughs> and apparently now his life is a fantasy book so <laughs> but he's not he doesn't say he, he might he does say like later on things like my you know if my life was a story or something yeah. But he doesn't like look at the audience and be like, and here's the part where I'm going to do this. Like, so right. it's not, yeah. it's not that level. Um, it's just, and it's not even like self-awareness of, or like meta self-awareness of like, I'm in a book, yeah. but it, it is in character awareness of this is how things go in stories that he has. And it's dope. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I, regarding the audiobook, we met because of it, right? Yeah. You uh, volunteered to do the voice of, who was it first? Lucius. Oh, that's right. And I didn't compress the file right, and I couldn't figure it out. And I knew it was like the couple days before the episode aired, and I was trying, to, and I was like, "Here's the password to my Dropbox because I can't actually like share this big of a file with you or something or whatever." Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Oh, actually, I got I got a voice for that one." And I was like, "Oh shit, I'll do somebody else." Um, and the voice for for Lucius is way better than what I landed. That guy was fucking killing. Yeah, me. the evil accent. Yeah, which is just a normal accent, but sounds to an American like an evil accent. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that guy nailed it. Um. But yeah, you were still living in Fort Collins at the time, right? Yeah, and then he moved to Denver because Rachel had got a job down here. Yeah. Um, and then and you were then, like... I, then I think I learned after that that you lived in Denver. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And oh no, wait, no, that's not that's not it because there was like a mile high con the mm-hmm. year before we moved. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I would come, but it's my birthday weekend, so maybe next time. Yeah. And I think I was able to make it for the next one. Um, yeah, we met over the audiobook. Um, and. Uh, how long after that was it that we started trying to do the less wrong meetups it would have been right after the wrap-up party for mor no we we'd started like at least six months before that oh that's without any luck we had had, well no we had a couple people yeah one or two there was a guy um francis whitesill and i don't mind saying his name because he he attributes on the podcast and he doesn't i'm not i think he moved to the east coast or something but i remember there was just one one night where it was just me and him okay um so yeah we did a couple teeny tiny meetups um and then the wrap-up party, what year was that? 2015, 14? Don't remember. God, we're old. Yeah. Uh, anyway, several years ago when Methods of Rationality wrapped up, was on Pi Day that year. Mm-hmm. And there were various meetups throughout the country, probably, I guess, the world of people like, all right, let's get together for the last episode. And we had like 20, 30 people show up, and largely because of you. And because you were, you. I mean, I am assuming that mm-hmm. you played a large role because like, oh, I listened to your podcast. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and so you helped catalyze getting people coming to those meetings. Yeah. So that's what started the Denver scene. And then like half of those people started hanging out for for the subsequent meetups. Yeah. Um. That was fun. Yeah. And so you say in the book, in the audiobook, that you start you decided to do the audiobook around the Stanford Prison Experiment arc. Okay. Um. Yes. You're like, I'll take your word for it. No, no, no. <laughs> now that you mention it, yes, absolutely. So. I mean, from the beginning, there were a lot of times where I was at work, and I do accounting, so 
like when you do the bank reconciliations, that's kind of mindless stuff where you're just comparing numbers. And I like listening to podcasts and I was listening to fiction podcast and I was like, I really like when a new chapter came out, like, God damn it, I got to wait until I get home before I can read this because it's so long. I can't finish it on my lunch break and, uh, and I wish there just was a podcast so I could listen to it. And, uh, and eventually I figured out I could do that because I had all the requisite skills necessary. I could both speak and read. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was around the Stanford prison experience because that is where the story got really dark. And I really love dark stuff. And when this was going down, I was just like, I was seeing it in my head. I was hearing the background music that I would one day use for this in my head. And I was just like, I want to do this scene in audio. But you can't just do this one scene. It doesn't mean shit for anyone who hasn't read all the way through it. All right, guess I'm starting at the beginning. You're like, cool, I guess I got five years. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not like it's going anywhere. And the thing is, okay, so this was, doing the podcast was one of the best times of my life. It was so much fun. And I met so many cool people. And just everyone should do something like this, in my opinion, that just makes them feel really cool. But the thing is, I went in there with no expectations. Like, I was a guy in a room with a printout reading into a microphone, right? I was barely able to do any voices. If you go and listen to the um, the original first 10 episodes, they're hidden away on the website somewhere. You can find them if you really look. Uh, they're bad. They're just straight up bad. But I had like seven people listening to the early episodes. I was like, this is so cool. And then uh, Luke Malhauser at one point, uh, I think it was around episode three or four, uh, broadcast this you know hey there's this cool podcast going on on his twitter and my numbers almost tripled i went from seven downloads per episode to 17 and i was like holy fuck that's amazing and i wrote luke and i was like dude thank you you helped out so much he's like i i, I didn't think i had that big of a twitter following and uh, you know in retrospect, 10 people isn't that much. If his Twitter following, if 50% of them went to the podcast, that's not a very big Twitter following. <laughs> but um, but it was huge for me. And like when I got 9,000 total downloads across all episodes, I, I did the over 9,000 thing, you know, because it was so stoked. And nowadays, if I put out a podcast that had 17 listeners, I'd be like, well, I'm quitting this shit. <laughs> no one cares. But, How many were you getting by the end? Um, by the end, because uh, by that point, it was an, Yudkowsky had plugged it in author's notes and everything. Yeah, it was over eight thousand per episode. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the episode. Uh, some of the really popular ones are over seventeen thousand uh, that have been downloaded. It's interesting that not everyone goes all the way to the end or even listens to all the episodes. Maybe they just pick up wherever they stopped. I don't know how that would work either, but yeah, yeah. it's funny. Even in your redone versions, of the first ten, I can still hear you turning pages. Um, oh oh but even it, between it's, it's very subtle okay cool um wow. but i can i can tell and you must chop out maybe i'm i, I don't know because it sounds like you're finishing a sentence while mm -hmm. turning it but mm -hmm. it's like how mm -hmm. could you see what's on the next page because you're not stopping talking uh well um, a lot of times if it's near the end of a sentence you can just guess what the next few words are huh i mean that's just oh and it's not, it's not like you're reading it for the first time either so that you're too. just finishing a sentence that you'd seen yeah yeah but so as far as that goes um so Eliezer, like if someone is saying to you i crashed my you pretty much know what the next word is going to be right car yeah yeah <laughs> even if they don't say it brains do that a lot and especially if you'd read that sentence yesterday or something right so, yeah um let's see so Eliezer did this thing where he put in uh, and, people who did fan art 
Yeah. Um, as like just minor character names mm-hmm. and, you know, like random person at the Hogwarts table or something like this and that, or mm-hmm. at the lunch table. Did he tell you you were going to be our Captain Inyash Brodsky? No, he didn't. So what was your reaction? Fuck when... yeah, I made it in. <laughs> so when you, when you were reading it, were you just like, yeah, what? so it was just, I was like, fuck, there I am. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. And then it I gives mean, me a Yudkowsky number of one. <laughs> it makes what? It gives me a Yudkowsky number of one, I believe. Uh, degrees of separation from Yudkowsky. Oh, sure. Although well, I've also like now had dinner with him, so I guess at that point, yeah, it's like zero. Yeah. Well, no, well, he's zero, one. and th- there were some there were some rules, but yeah, I remember the seven degrees of separation thing, but yeah. yeah. So let's see. I had a couple other questions about just the the story overall. I guess this might be moving into spoiler territory. Um, yeah, I guess it would be. So maybe we'll do that like after the, we'll, we'll still record it, but we'll do a clear differentiation. So in the meantime, I'll think of something else to say. Oh, you got Dan Carlin to do I the did. voice for you. Cause he, I yes. think he has the one line. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah. So one you, or two lines, but yeah. you just emailed him and he's just like, yeah, sure. I did. That's that so that cool. was how I got a number of people. Uh, Zoe Chase, by the way. Oh my God. I love her voice. She has like the perfect voice in my opinion but zoe chase from at the time it was planet money she has since moved over to um this american life which is much bigger but i listen to planet money and i don't usually listen to this american life but anyway she was on planet money and i just like wrote her i was like look this is this is a fanfic for nerds and a lot of my friends listen to planet money and it would be so fucking cool if like they heard your voice and be like oh my god how did you get zoe chase on this and she was like yeah sure whatever and so she recorded. Uh, she recorded a few lines for me too. Who did she do? Uh, she did the prefect of Ravenclaw House. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. She's just got that vocal fry with sort of a Jersey twang or maybe a New York twang. I don't know. It's it's a combination that's just amazing. And didn't you get Steve or Jay Novella to do a voice too? I did. Jay yeah. Novella does the voice of uh, Finch, the groundskeeper. That's so cool. Yeah that yeah and so, all those people were just like emailing them being like hey i got this little project i love your podcast and uh it's just real quick if you don't mind and all of them were like sure dan carlin has uh someone i assume has someone <laughs> it's still unclear whether this person actually exists he even jokes about it in his podcast uh but uh, has someone handling like his emails and stuff and the guy goes yeah uh he's a big fan of the harry potter series so he wouldn't mind at all Nice. So he pretend. Oh, that's actually a fun, like, veiled thing for him to do if he is answering it himself. Yeah. Because yeah. that way he could, like, oh, I'm sorry, my my handler didn't send me your thing. That's why I didn't reply to your fucking essay or something. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's hilarious. Yeah, and it's fun too because um, he's a big name in podcasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he does hardcore history and and just came out with a new episode like a week ago. Nice. Yeah. You know, I've never finished an episode. Oh, well, I mean, I, they're very long. They're like four or five, six hours on some of them. Yes. So, some uh, of his really early ones are just basically started, stopped at one hour, maybe one and a half. And he just sort of grew over time. But the early ones aren't available now unless you pay for them. And I'd be willing to pay for them. But would they show up in my app on my phone? Or like, because I think I still have to go to the website and pay for them and listen to them like on the browser, right? Well, I mean, you could download the MP3 once you paid for it. Oh, That's I guess what yeah. I did. All uh, right. I might just do that because that would be fun. It's um, totally worth it. The reason I wrote the... Um, <laughs> the reason that my book is set in ancient Rome is because when I wrote, I, I had a short story that was supposed to be uh, Lovecraftian horror in a pre-gunpowder era, right? And at the time, I was listening to his uh, podcast about the fall of the Roman Republic, uh, which is, I think, like 13, 14 hours. And I was like, well, shit, Rome was before gunpowder. So I went ahead and did my short story in there, and then that short story became a novel. So yes, he is directly responsible for uh, the novel that I wrote. 
What Lies Dreaming, available at Amazon.com. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, yeah. yeah, so he did the voice of... The, uh, Jordan Peele is like the host of the new uh, Twilight Zone. Mm, yeah. And they're they're okay. They're not... I stopped watching it like after episode five because they stopped kind of feeling Twilight zone and more feeling just like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Like kind of like how like Get Out and uh, or like more like how Get Out is uncomfortable, which yeah. is an important kind of discomfort. Yeah. But it's not... It's not Twilight supernaturally Zone. and there kind of is like there's the one that we watched that was sort of a bummer she the mom had like it was she, she was take she was documenting taking her son to college and they're both black and there's this dick bag white cop mm. who's a great actor mm. and he did such a, a, a awesome job at playing this terrible crooked guy yeah. and every time that she so the time the the tape recorder which they also or it was a video recorder was I remember this from an old Twilight Zone episode. He had a tape recorder that could rewind time, and he took it to Vegas and was winning at the tables. Oh. And then they take him to the back room to play like the high stakes games, and he keeps losing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "What the hell?" Someone else has a tape recorder. The, too? The, they they put one on the table, and they're like, "The house always wins." And okay. that was kind of a fun thing. The only thing that Twilight Zone about this is that she has a video recorder that can rewind time. Okay. But other than that, it's just this cop being an asshole. And every time, like no matter where she goes or how she tries to get in there, they get pulled over, mm-hmm. and the cop escalates and kills her son. Ooh. Yeah. Damn. So. It okay. it keeps going. Um, I hear that happens. But, not the killing the sun part, but like on a lot of um, Ivy League and and high level colleges, the black students that go there get stopped all the time oh, totally. by campus security. Like you're supposed to be here. And, like the white teens never get stopped. It's 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 that's why it's important to have. But it just yeah. didn't feel very like ooh spoopy. Yeah, yeah, it left you more with like just like a you know outrage at racial tensions right. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, the second episode is uh, Ben Wyatt. I forget the actor's name from Parks and Rec. Oh, cool. He's, yeah. on a, he's on a plane, and in the seat back in front of him, there's like an old iPod. Mm-hmm. And it's like the mystery of flight, whatever. And it's the flight that he's on. Mm-hmm. And so he's listening to a podcast about his flight, about how it mysteriously crashed, and no one knows why. Cool. Dan Carlin did the voice for the podcast. Awesome. And so I recognized him right away and looked up on IMDb while I'm listening to it. And I'm like, why isn't he credited? Yeah. But then he was at the end. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you got somebody to do part of your part of your podcast mm-hmm. who, when the writers of Twilight Zone 2019 were like, we need a podcaster. Oh, Dan Carlin, let's ask him if he'll do it. Yeah. It was the same guy. That's so cool. Yeah. And I think it's kind of cool, like... Like you mentioned, you just, it's somebody, you know, they're, they're already doing passion projects. They already have the equipment for microphones and stuff. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, in my experience too, from our other podcast, The Bayesian Conspiracy, that people, I don't know, like, I don't know if anyone, I don't reach out to that many people to do it. Um, but I don't think we've had people say no. Um, like Julia Galef ignored our requests, but I think she's just busy. Um, I was, I'm still I'm still salty about that, Julia. If you want to come on our podcast and talk to us about CFAR and all the cool shit you're up to, we'd love it. Um, but like we've had Brian Dunning on twice. We've had Elias Yudkowsky on, which I think bumped our numbers from the very beginning. Because mm-hmm. this was just like the this reason. This was like episode three or four that we had him on? Two or three. Two or three? Yeah, okay. it was right at the beginning. But I remember being like... Uh, Oh, I had I was lost my train of thought. Um, oh, yeah. I, the reason I wanted to start the Bayesian Conspiracy podcast was for much of the same reason you did the Methods of Rationality podcast was because I wish that there was something like this to listen to. And when you Googled, when you put in less wrong in the podcast store, fucking no, you know, nothing, nothing came up. If you put mm-hmm. in rationality, you'd get um, rationally speaking and, um, you know, a couple of other stuff. Do you but, get Bayesian Conspiracy now if you search rationality? I don't know. I'll check. Okay. We should because we get to put the tags on there ourselves, right? Yes. Um. But in any case, uh, the it was the same sort of thing. But then it's just like, hey, you know, this seems like a fun thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so I think I mentioned this on the show at some point. But like, you know, 
10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, no, wait, 10 years ago? Yeah, that would have been around when I'd met Brian Dunning at a couple conferences. Mm. Um, and, you know, now he's been on my podcast twice. Now how cool is that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think that's, that's the, the reason I bring all this up isn't to, like, brag. It's, it's because if there's somebody that, like, does something that you're interested in and you're doing something that can interact with it, they'll probably, they'll probably respond. Yeah. You know, I see all the time on, like, on. I wouldn't say probably, but about half the time it's worth it's worth costing nothing to try exactly yeah. yeah um and it depends on what you're looking for too like I've, I've seen over and over on every like um post on not every but once in a while on the science subreddit you know a lot of the full articles are behind a paywall mm. and people sometimes even the authors of the, of the paper will be like you can just email me i'll send you the actual thing like mm. I'm, i want people to see this they shouldn't have to pay for it yeah um for the most part, people are doing things they're excited about. They'll be happy to like help people get to it, right? Yep. Um, so, I mean, yeah, and like Brian's on on our show to shoot the shit. He's on there to you know broadcast or to market his stuff that he's working on, which is cool. Um, which speaking of, I've always kind of wanted to get Dan Carlin on our podcast, and he's like coming out with a book now. Hmm. Maybe I should talk to try to talk to him again. You know what's cool is if you emailed him, he'd you'd probably come up still in his email as like somebody he's had an email with before, right? Possibly. I'll try it. Yeah. Cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Man, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Other than that, I, I hit the beats I think I wanted to hit. And we're at about an hour. So did you want to ask whatever the spoiler thing was? We can put it at the end. Yes. All right. So we are transitioning to spoilers. If you haven't read Methods of Rationality, do skip this part. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll avoid... I'm, I'm going to try to avoid full story explosions, but... It'll um, definitely reduce your enjoyment of the story if you listen to this before having read or listened to the thing. Especially the question I'm about to ask, it will reduce your impact of, you know, what's going to happen. So Yeah, so stop now. There's yeah. nothing else but spoilers after this. Yeah, so thanks for listening. And if you have read the story, then Inyash, do you, did you ever... Wait, wait, wait. Um, thanks for listening. And you can check out... Actually, it's on the same feed, so we don't have to tell them what the feed is. That's right. Okay, but the website is hpmorpodcast.com. And uh, tell your friends. That's right. Bye. <laughs> all right so for those of you still still around the people who read it or the people who don't know how to follow instructions yeah did you was there ever a point in the story where you were actually brought to tears yes i want to say yes there were times when i was like very emotionally impacted i don't remember if there were tears though i can think of at least three and i think i remember the first one okay what was the first one that was the patronus the, yeah. the humanism chapters that was so good and i know i didn't wasn't brought to tears because like i said i have a cold dead heart <laughs> it's hard to bring me like to tears tears but god that was amazing i i suffer from pathological empathy when i have the ability to turn it on sometimes it's it's sometimes it whatever the switch doesn't work and i can't feel stuff but yeah. um the the reason that hit me so hard was because the 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 thrust of the chapter is like fuck death and mm -hmm. i we can stop this mm -hmm. we the enterprise of science um that hit me a lot because I was already familiar with uh, how the author lost his brother. Yeah, and that, that, I that actually felt did... like that felt like the author just in, this was more like the most direct. Like I'm inserting myself. This yeah. this is not the character. This is true. So I read his essay about his brother. I mean, before he even started writing uh, Methods of Rationality, but when I read that, I did cry that time. Yeah, yeah. Reading that essay was heartbreaking too. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Let's see. Yeah, the rest are full. Sp I mean, th that was fairly vague. So I'll skip the other ones in case anyone's sticking around. But okay. Um, let's see. I had one. Oh, oh this heck, is... we can cut out the whole spoiler warning then. That wasn't even that big a warning. Mm. All you said was the Patronus. That's fair. Yeah. Mm. All right. We can drop that part. Unless we want to get into some more spoilerific stuff. Do you want to? Yeah. Sure. 
Okay. What do you got? Oh, I, I don't have anything really. Oh, well, okay. I do have the one thing. Uh, so this is actually full spoiler. When it was revealed that, uh, that um, Quirrell is Voldemort, that really sucked for me. Like, because I fell in love with Quirrell. I was like Harry, where I wanted there to be a three-way wedding between him and his time turner and <laughs> Professor Quirrell. <laughs> it, was, it was perfect and beautiful. And then it turns out it was all an act and he was never that person at all. And I guess he was a little bit. You can't... He was never anybody. Yeah, but he, you can't... he was he was whoever he was pretending to be. I don't think you can role play Professor Quirrell that well that long without being Professor Quirrell in some level. Just like you can't role play Voldemort without being Voldemort. But then you learn that like the person that you actually really liked has way more fun being a murderous psychopath. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that that sucks. Like, I mean, there had been a few people before on the on the uh, subreddit that floated the idea. You know, maybe maybe Voldemort's Quirrell. And there were signs pointing to it, and me, most people, there, there in were, fact. There were, there were enormous, glaring, noisy signs pointing well, towards it, but thing. I ignored all of them. Yeah, there was a small minority of people who believed this. And I don't know if small minority, but it was definitely not the majority. Uh, the majority of people were like, no, Quirrell's not Voldemort. Are you fucking kidding me? And I was one of those people. There's like, there's no way. Quirrell's too awesome. And, and he was. And that really sucked. And like, I didn't cry about it, but... Ugh. It was rough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I lost 15 bucks, actually, because oh, the... Really? It was at the in the chat in the author's notes of like, I think riddles and answers or something. He's like, if you have any last bets or last thoughts on Quirrell, get them out there now because all the answers are coming in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, cool. Official betting thread. I'm gonna put 15 bucks on the first person to challenge me that I think Quirrell is Baba Yaga, because uh-huh. um, he had mentioned her a couple of times. Yes. And then I lost 10 bucks on something else. I can't remember what it was, but I lost both my bets. Uh, and then both people sent me a receipt that they sent the money that I gave them to charity. So, oh, neat. Uh, it, you know, it was the best way to lose a bet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it on your second read through, it couldn't be any clearer. Right. I mean, it has the same, like, I can't touch him, you know, like that. Why I mean, couldn't? There's other reasons you can't touch him. Magic's weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious if Brian will pick up on that. I think it'll be hard for him. I don't know, actually, because, you I know, think it really depends on how much he likes Quirrell. Like, I loved Quirrell and that made me so blind to all the signs and it made us hairy that's that's the thing right yeah um yeah it'll be perfect i'm curious you know how that'll go with with an original reader um and one who you know i mean it it's in the first book quarrel was voldemort right yeah um for some stupid reason he had just a face on the back of his head which they got rid of yeah Yeah. there was so much else changed about the book that it was easy to imagine that being changed too absolutely yeah. yeah yeah so the the other moments that really hit me like was when, and this is, again, full spoiler, but if you're here, screw you if you're not, haven't read the book, <laughs> um, when, I'm almost reluctant to say it in case anyone is still sticking around. What do you think? Is it up to them or should we just We already dropped it? the Quirrell's Voldemort bomb. That's true. Yeah. So when Hermione dies, yeah. that that hit me. Okay. And then there's the part when she's dying. There's, there's a couple points, but, God, she looks at him and she's like, your fault and and <laughs> and he, goes he, back to the chapter six thing and, and yeah. He, oh yeah so there, there's that and it's, it's uh-huh. almost funny but uh-huh. at the same time i'm like oh my god is like does she blame him is she being brainwashed in this last second to ruin his life uh-huh. um and he even like panics for a second but he's like nope put that aside i'm gonna keep trying to save her it's fine mm-hmm. and then she's like not your fault and it's like yeah. oh my god and yeah. then then when she actually dies and it's you, you have this crescendo of music and like that was hugely moving. Oh, um, thank you. Oh yeah. Um, and then on the other side of it, when she's brought back to life, mm-hmm. there's there's the writing there is just you know he he's 
gathering himself for what he has to do to to quirl mort his best friend and his only true peer yeah um and he looks over at hermione and he's like he sees her breathing and he's like sometimes things work out you know our friendship won't have destroyed her existence yeah. and you know it's this moment of sometimes things are okay like that was huge that hit me really hard i um, I'm and you s- hit during that this is i got to I, I got to cash in a nerd point i think i texted my brother when you played this because i said hey you know what would be a great song for this for the background for this mm-hmm. be brothers from full metal alchemist yeah and there are four different versions i think two of them don't have uh the audio or like the vocals which would be you know better because it'd be distracting to have russian music in the background yep um yeah, and you was, sent me that. It was perfect. Yeah. And I don't think you've seen Full Metal Alchemist. No, but, I haven't. But that fits perfectly. Cool. Um, so there's a scene at the end of the version that everyone hates because they did Full Metal, they did, they did a Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, mm-hmm. um, which is apparently closer to the manga. I think what happened was when they did the anime, they caught up to where the manga was and just finished it themselves. They Yeah, they and, had a um, Game of Thrones Exactly. Thing. I was going to say, they susceptible to it, or they fell into the Game of Thrones trap where they're not as good as the original authors, and they apparently biffed it. I liked kind of how it ended but i also saw it when i was a teenager so but the premise of the story is it's the in fact they mentioned the elric brothers Mm -hmm. in methods of rationality as like yeah they yeah i loved all the pop culture references oh yeah it's great and when he uh he obliquely uh referred to the uh the gargoyle series with xanatos as it was like as a play or something oh no no no, the play was the death note play yeah but uh, they also referenced gargoyles there was so many cool pop culture references and the fact that he had l's real name for the uh the play yeah so the way that you got l's real name is if you bought the 13th volume of the um the manga Mm. and which was just like an about the series uh and in the middle there was like a card that you could cut the edge of and then pull a card out and it was like a pokemon card with l's name on it it just said lolly oh so that was how you get l's name so i'm like okay yudkowsky gets full nerd cred or he looked it up yeah but well i mean i found it just because internet knowledge i had no idea about that's how the way that's the way it was revealed you never learn l's name yeah in the entire manga yeah um or at least you didn't in the anime i didn't read the manga but you you don't in that you don't in the manga yeah okay he's he stays l um which i really liked yeah i think i'm trying to remember i wonder if brian will get all the references i'm sure he'll get some of them but, like, I don't know if he watched Gargoyles when he was a kid or if he ever has seen Death Note. I, I watched some Gargoyles, but I didn't pick up on... Oh, it, uh, was, it was so good. Because in the Gargoyles, they had the thing... There was this problem with uh, 80s cartoons where uh, the villain has to... It's a recurring villain, right? So the heroes always win at the end and they beat the villain. But then for some reason, the villain is back. He always, like, gets away or something. And it was just... It was stupid retarded. Uh, there was even an essay someone wrote that was really interesting that... Uh, G.I. Joe taught me to kill because if you don't kill the people after you win, they'll keep coming back and fucking <laughs> things up. It was a really good essay. I, I summarize it as a joke, but like it was like, wow, damn, dude. Um, but yeah, Batman could take a page out of that book. Yeah, right. And, and Harry points that and, out too. And he but... does in the final Batman. Well, not the final Batman, but what I considered the final Batman, the um, the Dark Knight Returns manga. It wasn't manga. What trade paperback? I guess, <laughs> but I, I call it the manga because that's just the term I know for does it. Does he kill the Joker? Yes, he does. Noise. Yeah, he find. Well. No, he, he lets him die or something, or he uh, he paralyzes him. Okay, uh, from the neck down, and then the Joker kills himself. Yeah, that works yeah. With it, without being able to move his hands or feet. Yep. All right. The Joker has very strong neck muscles, and he twists his own neck. <laughs> of course, he fucking does. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. In the Arkham Knight games, um, uh, I think I only played. I think I think I played Arkham Knight. I'm not sure if I played the one before or after that, but. And the one before that, he had surrendered Joker to the authorities, and they give they burn him to death. 
Oh. So Joker's oh, dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was like, you know, out of his hands, right? Yeah. Um, but then, man, that game was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Just a quick sidebar. Like, so Joker's not... the first one. Uh-huh. I played the first one. And the first one set up, like, the combat for a lot of modern games. Yes. Where, you know, the, the reaction, like, all right, you see the attack coming, you can parry, and it gives that cool, like, screen shake when things hit, yeah. and... Um, it like was a sh- really cool game. Yeah, Shadow of Mordor uh, copied that almost exactly, but not, okay. like, ripped it off, but it's mm-hmm. the same exact sort of thing. Right. Um, even God of War has more versatile combat, but just that same sort of, like, where you feel the hits mm-hmm. really lands really well. Um, so at the end of the previous game, Joker had released some toxin that was infecting people with Joker madness, where they're slowly turning into Jokers. Okay. And so he's collected a few of those people, but he's also been infected. Oh. And so he's hallucinating the Joker, like, subtly throughout the beginning awesome and then later on he's just having full-on monologues with him in like elevators and stuff dude i gotta play um, this one it was amazing cool and this isn't this won't spoil your your playthrough of it but you're, you're like you're zipping through town and it's dark because it's always nighttime because it's batman mm-hmm. and like there's like a billboard and like you're 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 zipping past it and you're like was that the fucking joker and you go back and look and it wasn't neat um but it probably was the fr- it, when it, you're it going was through. yeah and you and because eventually you see so many like you, you almost see so many of them yeah it's never ones you're flying directly towards it's like ones that like you're passing like a poster on the side of a building or that something. is a really cool mechanic yeah it was really nice. cool um so yeah I don't think I have anything else for method of rationality stuff now that we're all the way to Batman. So yeah. Well, I guess the, the the tie-in to bring it home is Harry follows the code of Batman best he can. Oh, right. oh, right. The thing I was saying about gargoyles with the oh. killing of the people is that gargoyles was in the 90s and they had learned all the lessons from the 80s cartoons. And so they had uh, their main villain was Xanatos. And whenever the heroes beat him afterwards, like it would cut away to Xanatos and it would show how like secretly this was feeding into his master plan. That, like, it was either advancing his interests or he had set it up so that if the heroes lose, he gets one thing he wants. If the heroes win, he gets a different thing he wants. So either way, it turns out to his advantage. And that became known as the Xanatos Gambit in TV Tropes. Okay. I'm familiar with the Xanatos Gambit. Yeah. Uh, his name was Xanatos. So yeah. It was, Where and, does this happen in Methods of Rationality? Where do they reference it? I don't remember. Somewhere in the middle chapters. And is is Harry talking about it? He yes, must be. I think it was Harry. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't maybe... think he calls it the Xanatos Gambit, but he he just talks he references about it. it, and he he mentions something about gargoyles in it. Okay, I'll keep my eyes peeled. All I remember is seeing a couple episodes of the cartoon in the nineties. So. I mean, that's that's all it was, but it was it was really good, especially the first season was nice. awesome. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah. yeah, the the code of Batman, which is like don't kill people. Yeah. Above all else, which. Mm-hmm is a perfect ideal i love it yeah because especially from where harry comes from and you know and harry's got magic so it's much more plausible you can fix people instead mm-hmm. of killing them mm-hmm. and when harry finally decides to take the kid gloves off and said i guess death is in the cards now yeah and it's not clear all the stuff he gets from the weasleys but i remember speculating about it um you know i'm like i'm sure he bought a gun mm-hmm. i'm sure he bought uh like yeah. bombs or something because transfigured bombs are too dangerous so he's like i bet he just bought some fucking dynamite and I know I, that he bought like some sulfuric acid and other stuff, but all I remember is that I guessed at least two of the things right. He bought a gun. And he bought he bought bombs. Um, the thing that um, we were talking about uh, endings and feelings and stuff at the very end, where his and Draco's relationship is basically just irreparably fucked. That was that was like really sad. Yeah, and I think maybe they'll I don't know maybe they'll get back together. Maybe they're just enemies now. I mean, the fact that he gave him back his mom is probably a big deal, but I don't know. The well, and he he wipes his mind after saying, "I killed your dad." Yeah, but like he still can't be like, "I'm gonna be your friend and pretend like I didn't kill your dad." So yeah, well, I mean, and they they are basically enemies now, right? 
if I recall correctly afterwards, even though he wiped his mind, they're just like, they're, they're not friends anymore. And I got the feeling they never would be, which really sucks because I really loved Rationalist Draco. There was a good uh, Draco Malfoy and the Methods of Rationality mm-hmm. uh, continuation. I think it t- I think it picks up in the second year. Okay. Um, but then it goes on to many decades past. It does like a big time jump. Mm-hmm. Um, it that was the one that I mentioned where at the top the author was like some people complained that this jumps all over and like the the plot like the the twist is hard to follow. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I don't know what you're talking about. This is great. And then about two thirds through, I'm like oh I see what they're saying. Oh. But yeah. in the author's defense. In the practice the, of rationality? Yeah. Draco Malfoy in the practice of rationality? That's what it was, yeah. Okay. Um, in the author's defense, he even says, I wanted you to feel as ambushed and confused as Harry did. Okay. And I'm like, well, it worked. <laughs> um, and I maybe if I read it, I could get a better understanding, but parts of it seemed kind of like like not enough things were dropped to make things work out. Yeah. But that one, they are enemies. Um, yeah. And it's... But enemies in the sense that you'd imagine if Draco went back to Hogwarts the next year. Like, yeah. yes, I will continue to talk with you and whatever, but I'm going right. to be working against you the whole time. Yeah, um, yeah it was interesting. Uh, I I love that he was trying to to uh, recruit Draco through friendship and magic. I loved that so much when, like, Dumbledore is like, hey, did you ever consider, like, I don't know, trying to show him true love and kindness? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, that would have worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're you're you know, whatever, I guess this could have been part of the re- the regular episode, but the podcast did, and this isn't me just like flattering you. If it sucked, I'd let you know. Like, okay. Yeah. You read the book. That was cool. Hmm. Um, no, nah, man, you, you like, I think we talked about this. No, we talked about it on the Bayesian conspiracy, but like you, you didn't just read it, which you could have, which mm. you, you tried to do sort of at the beginning. I started out just doing that. Yeah. But even when you decided to do, I'm going to do different voices for different characters myself, mm-hmm. you kind of were more ambitious than some audiobooks are. Right. Yeah. But then you went full on to where like, People will give you original musical scores to put in for fight scenes. Yeah. You had, I don't know, what, 100 people total probably doing More. voices? Yeah. yeah. All of, almost all of which did a really, really good job. Um, the only one, I think I've mentioned this, and this is nothing against the person who did it. Mm-hmm. You did a, a great job. I think it was just the environment that you recorded in. Mm-hmm. Tracy Davis's voice sounds like she's recording in an empty gymnasium. I really hate that because I love her voice. Yeah. Like, I love Tracy Davis and the way she was voiced. The sound quality is subpar i'm sure you did everything you could for it yeah well i mean there's really nothing you can do with echo i've heard that i now they have really expensive software that can get rid of echo which i kind of i don't know i guess nowadays you can do almost anything with computers but at the time it was literally technologically impossible if there was echo in the original recording you have echo period yeah and it did work for a few of the scenes like the the hallway scene of the bullies like the, the the ambient echo in there like that makes it it makes sense because it's extra creepy yeah exactly Um, yeah but it worked out yeah yeah Alrighty, cool man. Well, thanks for doing this, and thanks for doing the audiobook, man. Absolutely. And I, I send you. I don't send you all of them, but I'm still on Reddit, and I mm-hmm. when I'm, I never really go to like a specific subreddit. So I'm not sure how often it's brought up, but whenever it hits the front page on my feed, someone in the HPMOR is like, "Oh man, this audiobook's great. Have you guys heard of this?" And it's like, "Yeah, bro, we heard of it." <laughs> um, you know, it it still reaches people, and I think it's it's many people's introduction into rationality, and like, that's outstanding. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, man. And thanks for doing this too. I'm really looking forward to listening through it. I'm hoping that I can live up to expectations. It, you know, at the end of the day, it'll be a fun thing. It'll, it'll, it'll just be yeah. whatever it is. It'll be right. another fun thing for you to work on. Yeah, projects cool. are the best. Yeah, it'll be fun. Alrighty, thanks for listening, all, and come back for more of We Want More. Perfect. Bye.